Welcome to the Landco Podcast. This is the year-round waterfowl hunter series, where we dissect the monthly activities of a successful waterfowl hunter. I'm your host and managing partner at Landco, John O'Reilly. Hey guys, this is John O'Reilly, the host of the Landco podcast series. And uh, first off, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the series. This is the last episode in the year-round waterfowl hunter. Um, but more importantly, I want to apologize because the quality of this episode uh, in terms of audio uh, well, and video is awful. Uh, we ran into a few technical difficulties and the video didn't record and the uh, high-end audio did not record. So Luckily, we did have backup audio, but um, the quality is not very good. We thought about re-recording it, um, but there was a bunch of good stuff in there, so uh, we just went with it. So again, apologize for the uh, audio quality, and uh, uh, we won't let that happen again. So again, thanks for listening, and this is the last episode of the Year-Round Waterfowl Hunter. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the um, final episode of the Year-Round Waterfowl Hunter Jody Graff, John O'Reilly. Um, the last time we were here was right before season. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Or close. So we would have been through September, going into October, I believe. So um, this is it, man. So just want to chat about the season, um, hopefully find out kind of what we learned throughout the year, what we did that worked, what we did that didn't work. Um, and that's it, man. Um, I have a feeling that your season was a little different than mine, just from the pictures I saw. So um, we'll, we'll let you guys know that Jody's got a little puppy there, and so he's on like high alert. Is the puppy okay at the moment? Yeah, puppy's sleeping in front of the fireplace, man. We're good. So do you do you train the dog yourself? Is that going to be a waterfowl dog? Yeah, he's going to be a dog. Yeah, I'll probably do a lot of the puppy work and try to get him ready for this fall. Um, you know, I got a couple of boys working for me. They all have dogs, so we're just going to try to work that into our day. Nice. Um, get some marks and stuff thrown, you know, before it gets hot this summer. Try to get everybody ready. Cool. Well, I'm actually, um, so Mike, your kids are young too. You're, you must be crazier than me. For, but my twins are now turning four. So I'm like, you know what, dude? I think we can finally get a dog. So uh, we're like exploring that now. That could be a whole other episode. We'll we'll go into that later. <laughs> um, so let's hop into it, man. Um, it was a crazy season for us. Um, so let's start. I think you guys started a couple weeks later than us, right? Are you into November when you start? November seventh. Okay. Yeah, we were like so we were like last um, week of October, and. So we'll, we'll start in Illinois because it was excellent. I think I sent you a few pictures. It was the first week of season was incredible. Like I think we had 200 ducks within 10 days or so between my personal farm and the club. Um, we had everything. We had mallards already. Uh, like everything was working. They were doing it. And then literally it dropped off the face of the earth. Like duck hunting was the worst I've ever seen it. Um, did you guys have ducks early as well? And it started in teal season. Oh yeah, that's right. We don't so we don't do that. So so you were that was in October for you guys, right? Uh, it's the middle of September. 
Um, okay. Like September 10th, 15th, somewhere in there, we okay. opened up the rents for uh, three weekends. Or, anyway, we had, it, especially that last week, sort of in late September, uh, we had pintails, gadwall, and we had shovelers and, and widgeon. And it was, it, you had to be really careful. Um, you, you know, it's easy enough to, Tell the difference between a teal and a wood duck, but yeah. an immature or uh, a teal and a wood duck, but an immature shoveler and a wood duck look kind of alike, <laughs> and and so it, it's tough. We had to um, really watch ourselves this year. It's not something that we're used to, right? Um, so then we, you know, let's skip forward a few weeks. Um, we got we got a big push of birds in the middle of October again. This is the third year in a row that we've seen an early push. Um, we got closer to Halloween, and we had snow. Um, our youth weekend was like uh, the week before Halloween, okay. and it had one of the most epic youth weekend hunts that I, I've ever seen. I mean, we just had tons of ducks around. Why do you think that was? Well, so it's been consistently um, early push for, what did you say, three years? Three years in a row, but we got big cold fronts, and the two years previous to this year, we had floods, and it's almost like the birds are falling flood. Um, and when the water showed up, the ducks showed up. But this year we had weather early, and it, we had a great push early. Um, you know, we we had we had a lot of mallards here. Um, you know, a lot of our boys that were hunting uh, during the youth weekend. You know, they killed straps of mallards, which, you know, isn't, isn't normal no. um, with you season being early. Uh, the opener for us, you know, November 7th, it was, it, it was really good. Everybody was killing ducks early. We got a little push right there, you know, around Veterans Day. I had buddies in over the, uh, our firearm season. Um, and, man, we, we stacked up early Man. sounds a lot like what we saw um and we so but, that, last year we had more mallards early. this year we just had a crazy number of ducks um nah. but so that's cool but then it changed for all of us right because yours stayed good right you got you kept getting new ducks right <laughs> no oh no <laughs> no we got that big push late in october middle of october um, and you know, a good push of birds, a good push of mallards, you know, right there around the 10th of November. Um, after that, man, we might have had a few trickle in, but it was, it, it was tough to tell because the birds weren't flying until four o'clock. We had, we, we had a really early ice event and it just happened to fall on a full moon again. This is the second year in a row we've had ice early in a full moon. And when that happens, those birds don't move until the afternoon. And then it's hard to break them out of that. Like, they stayed in that pattern the rest of the season. And the morning hunting was really, you know, kind of slow. But, you know, the, the afternoons were pretty good. Huh. Um, I know a lot of guys spent a lot of time flying this year. And it was, it, it was kind of tough. Um, you know, later that we got into the season without, you know, picking up new birds. We were losing birds and not picking them up like we normally would. But you look at the weather this year and, and 
you know, up in Nebraska and South Dakota and parts of North Dakota that didn't really have a whole lot of a whole lot of snow cover. Didn't have, you know, they, their weather pattern was kind of like ours. So when it warmed right. up down here, it warmed up up there too. Right. And uh, we just didn't see that late push. But I think all of this kind of gets back to pressure. Um, those birds that are staying north are staying north because they have a better chance of surviving. Right. And not and not the weather conditions, the hunting pressure. So you think there just there wasn't wasn't the pressure up there to, to push them down? Um there wasn't the there wasn't the weather to push them down. Oh god, okay. And so you know, more of the adult birds are gonna ride that ice line mm-hmm. and and stay as far north as they possibly can and and not migrate to put themselves at risk of hunting pressure. Got it. Um now the the hatchier birds are going to be more on a calendar, and that you know push we saw in November was you know likely, and, and we did. We had a lot of young birds then, um, but those birds moved on through. They went right. on, you know, south southeast Missouri and Arkansas and Tennessee and on down, and, and we didn't get that replacement, you, you know, push that we usually see. And I just, um, I guess, I was just probably. I was probably just jealous because you were shooting some ducks, so I'd like see pictures of ducks and like because we literally it dropped off the face of the earth. Like we didn't shoot it. I didn't shoot a duck for three weeks, not a single yeah. duck. So, but it was it's um it's interesting that you say so. You got ice on a full moon. I've actually never heard that, and because our ducks here follow the same exact pattern, but they were actually literally ten minutes after shooting late. There was no no movement, um, and it's a big like you know people around here are trying to figure it out you know people blaming on the new preserves and all this stuff, but like there was there was no like solid answer on what happened because we had ducks like you know there's um, I think it's Forbes or whoever it is that flies our rivers and gives us like estimates of how many ducks we had and you know maybe we were down a little bit. At certain times, but not much. Like we had the same number of ducks that we did last year for the most part. And when I say there was no ducks flying, I mean I'd go hunt in a spot that there's lights out and I wouldn't see a duck until five minutes after shooting like not a single duck. So nobody it was frustrating, man. And I don't know if we did get an ice, but for us, we have open water because we have those ice eaters. But maybe there was something kind of weird like that that kind of messed up their pattern because once they got on it. It didn't change the rest of the year. Yeah, even it when we very similar, it does to what we saw. And it cloudy days, those birds are going to move a little earlier. If it's clear, they're going to move after shooting time. And I mean, even on the cloudy days with wind, when you expect them to get up and you know stir around a little bit, it was still really late when they were coming out. Still um, so weird. It was literally the exact same. A few times, and I got so frustrated. Well, for me, it was a little different because I didn't get to go those first week. When it was really good, I was just busy. And so then my wife tested positive. I think I that. So I was on lockdown for like two weeks while people were still picking off a few ducks. By the time I got back, like it was non-existent. It was just over. So my season was awful. But I, a few days, like I was, I was so like stir crazy at home with the kids. And I'd load them all up and we'd go. Because um, one day, literally, it was like cloudy, like 100% cloud cover. And it was dark at like 
I mean, really dark, like an hour before shooting light. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Same thing. Didn't, didn't come till five minutes after. Like, I couldn't even see. Like, I, I'm not even sure I got a shot at shooting light. It, it was odd. It was a really weird year. Well, I, I think that it, it was telling this year for me, the, the talking to the guys in the area, everybody had a really tough season around here. Okay. Um, I, I, some of my clients, you know, we had some you know, really good hunts late in the season. Um, I had a pretty good season. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there are a couple things that contribute to that. Um, one of them is we were refugee ducks. Yeah. We had a spot where they weren't getting banged at, and they had open water and food and no hunting pressure. Um, if it hadn't been for that refuge that was holding, you know, a fair amount of dogs, we wouldn't have been shooting either. Yeah. Um, there are the, the, the same, the same story. Every little, you know, every club I talk to, all the, you know, my buddies would say, man, it was just, you know, birds didn't move till late. We didn't get, you know, birds later on in the season. We hunted the same birds for six weeks. Yep. We didn't get the weather that we needed. You know, there's, there's several things that, um, you know, I think that are contributing to what we saw. Uh, but one being the weather pattern, uh, kind of a mild, mm-hmm. you know, not that many significant weather events throughout the season. And, and two, um, we we don't know we, we don't really know what our duck numbers look like um, you know the breeding population and what the duck hatch was like there weren't a, a lot of the uh, biologists there were there wasn't the work that is normally done in Canada in the Great Powell region right. to see how well our ducks did so we may have been down in numbers but, um, and also the hunting pressure man it was dry around here this fall and so. Every little hole that had water in it is because somebody was pumping it because somebody was going to hunt it. Hunt it yeah. And on those years, man, it just seems like we burn our ducks up faster and they get smarter faster. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't use a spinning wing, but maybe the first you know two weeks of the season because after that, man, yeah. they were awfully, awfully educated to it. Um, I think hunting pressure is you know something that. We, we don't often think about, you know, going back to, you know, let's say you're an average guy that got a blind mm-hmm. to go hunt. We don't have any other places to hunt. You know, it's not like you've got three other blinds to choose from, like a club would or you go there. So you go to your, go to your blind. And especially if you're a weekend warrior, I mean, you get two, maybe three days, Friday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday to hunt. And it's hard not to put a lot of pressure on, you know, and yeah. still get, still get the use of your property. So some of the smaller tracks are struggling with the fact that they're putting more hunting pressure on it than what it can handle. And when that happens, you run the ducks off and they don't come back until after shooting night. Yeah, you're done. Yep. And, and where I saw success, and this was in Missouri and Illinois and Tennessee, and in Arkansas, talking to guys that had more consistent success this year, 
Um, when everybody else is crying the blues about it being so bad, the guys who still did it are guys who are refuge in their own guns. Right. And managing the pressure and being strategic in their hunting plan. And, you know, we this whole podcast has been mostly about the habitat management and development of the property. I have really, this year more than most, I hunted with my clients. And there's, a, there's, another, there's another piece to the puzzle here. And a part of it is, is making sure that our hunters are ready, making sure that they're doing everything they can to hide better and hunt yeah. better and hunt at the right times and hunt the right lines and locations and trying to do it in a strategic manner and, and manage the pressure, trying to move around enough that, you know, we're not, we're not just beating them up in one spot. And I, I, I just got back to Tennessee. I went down there to pick up the puppy and, um, you know, guys, I've been working with down there in West Tennessee and got places, you know, it's gorgeous. And pull up there, and there's ducks everywhere. And, and literally ducks everywhere, and everybody else in the bottom is complaining they haven't seen a duck for three weeks, and yeah. these guys have thousands of them. And if it weren't, if, if it weren't for the refuge, those ducks would have been gone, too. Yep, 100%. So yeah. that's cool that you say that, because, you know, we did all this stuff, and it's like, you know, you hate to say, like, it was just awful. Nothing we did helped. And, but the truth is, that stuff does help. The refugee, like, all the, when I say it was bad, the first week of the season for here, locally, it was good for everybody. But then, for the most part, like, most people around here, it fell off the face of the earth. I say that because I couldn't hunt that week. But the truth is, like, at our double-hunt farm, it tailed off because we were holding ducks. Right? So, like, when everyone else, they were gone, they were and they weren't shooting the limits like it wasn't as good as it could have been or it was in years past but at least we had our ducks like we had food there they were there so we were hunting the same birds for another two weeks and eventually they moved on <clears throat> but that's another two weeks of the season you get right because you have your own birds um, yeah. and, if, and if and again that's a club which is a little different than what we're talking about because those guys pay to go hunt you know you can't just call them and say hey let's rest it for a week you know it's you can, but it doesn't really go well. Uh, yeah. So, so all that stuff we're talking about, like all that food we have, all that, like, are we try to rotate areas and not hunt mornings? Um, it's not like we had our best year ever, but it was better than a lot of other places. Like we were shooting a handful of ducks when most people were shooting nothing, right? So, yeah. same story. I, I, I think we had more, I'm sure our season was worse than yours, like literally after that couple of weeks. It turned into like San Diego. Like it was like 45 degrees, zero wind <laughs> for like, it was like three weeks. <laughs> it was crazy. Like water's like glass, but um, they were more similar than I expected. So um, that's weird. That's weird. And I, I, 146 days this year, and I would have gone more if there were better days. I mean, it is, and you know you're just going to get your butt kicked. I I didn't go on my days this year because it was it, it was tough. It I was mean, tough. I doubt. Uh, we had to 
we, we had to do some things that are a little outside the box, you know, getting this man's going to hide, you know, where they're and really hone in on trying to hunt pressure ducks. Um, I've learned that it's, it's, it's pretty good hunt whenever ducks are new and they haven't been pressured mm-hmm. and everybody can shoot them. It's when they get pressured, when they start this, you know, point A to point B, flying after shooting time and not moving when, you know, they should. That's when, that's when you got to figure out how to kill them. It's tough, though. And, and if they don't fly during, during shooting hours, it's hard to kill them. It's nothing you can do. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, the next couple of years. Um, what the experience is around you know, seeing properties because we're learning we're, like we know as little as we'll ever know today and every minute every hour every day we're learning you know one how how what we did is whether or not it's attractive to the ducks we're figuring out you know the areas that they're using the most some of them are expecting some of them are not you know, we did a lot of dirt work this year, and I had a lot of levees that were, you know, dirt. You know, there was no vegetation on them. Everything looked pretty manufactured, and the ducks were using it like crazy. Really? And, you know, we flooded some timber this fall, but there were thousands of ducks in this timber that it had never been flooded before. I thought it might take them a couple of years to kind of find it. It took them a couple of weeks. No way. That was not that was a new uh, timber hole. Yeah, we, it was really impressive to see. Yeah, well, didn't we talk about that? Didn't we talk about that? Was that timber hole? I think it was tighter than I expected it to be, but that was a, a project you did this year, right? Yeah. Is that where the, yeah. is that where the uh, whatever that was, the pans fell into a little creek? See, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, my buddy Bo, uh, <laughs> Scraper, yeah, they going around a corner. Was that the same spot? I've never seen one. It's wheels up in the air. That was that was pretty entertaining. Um, that that's a tough project. Yeah, uh, we had to go a long way with the dirt. It took a long time. It was really cool. After all that work, all summer long, and you know, the trials and tribulations, and the the teamwork that went into that to get to see thousands. Greenheads. Oh man, that's so awesome! Water in there and, and getting to, to shoot them. You did shoot um, them. Year one, you went in there and shot them. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Uh, it, it, it was really cool. Um, and you, you know, some of the ag ground that we levied up last year. You know, we didn't have we, we didn't have wall to wall corn, and I, I mean, we have food plot corn right. that I planted in July. Mm-hmm. And we held ducks for 45 days, 50 days, but 20 of those days were well before season started. Right. Um, and so we, we, we saw, you know, what we did worked, but it was the hunting pressure that, that contributed to, you know, making it hard to hunt. Um, you know, and we, we were hunting. A particular pool once a week. Once a week, you would think that those ducks would stay there all year. You think that'd be perfect with getting hunted once a week. 
Yeah. Well, the neighbor hunted every day and hunted all day and was hunting pretty close to the property line where all these ducks were. And Yikes. man, that was enough pressure to eventually run them off. Yep. Even though they weren't getting shot at on the property, that constant bank um, ended up running off, you know, five or 6,000 birds that were there every day and only getting shot at once a week. Sounds like you need to lease that. Sounds like you need to lease that pit. <laughs> Trust me, I tried. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that sucks. That's uh, part of it, though, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what um, what worked this year that maybe hadn't in the past, or that you experimented with? Anything you did this year that was kind of different than you've done in the past that that you'll do again next year? Um, man. Uh, a lot of the, the ground that I'm taking care of right now I, I've had for a little while. Right. And and so the things are getting easier, like the ducks show up when they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. They're using the areas that they normally do. You know, we're honing in on on you know the specifics of each farm. Um but I I can't I can't stress how much or how important it is for for us and for everybody in our area and probably everybody in the you know listening in this is it's vitally important to consistently provide that habitat year in and year out mm-hmm. having good quality habitat you know you, you don't get your corn in you go to your to milo or jack millet or buckwheat or maybe it's moist soil management and Try and try and try and try and try. Because when we don't have, if we don't have water or we don't have, you know, very much food, those birds are going to spend less time on your property. Yeah, for sure. And they're, they're going to be there for a little while, see what you got. And if they can't get what they need, they're going to move on. They're gone. Yep. And, and these same ducks are coming back to the same places year in, year out. There's, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of data that shows that the ducks are are bouncing from you know Saskatchewan somewhere in Canada north and north and South Dakota area and kind of bouncing around and coming down towards Missouri and and or north Missouri and then on to southeast Missouri and then on to northeast Arkansas or you know down the Grand Prairie it's just like the country that they've been, you know, trying to record the last few years is mm-hmm. really starting to shine some light on what the ducks are doing. And year in, year out, those ducks are coming and stopping by. Whether or not you have habitat, and good habitat is going to determine whether or not that duck stays. Yep, and sure. as that older generation of ducks, you know, has been to your property, for the second, third, fourth, fifth year in a row, it becomes more consistent. And with that, the those birds are bringing new birds to your property. Yep. And mm-hmm. they've got people following, you know, ducks following them every year. And so the more you can imprint the birds on your property, the more refuge you can give them, the more duck you stays you can provide, um, you, you know, in your food sources, the, you know, the longer you can keep your water on, the more water you can keep open, that every little bit 
is going to help the following year. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people pull their boards at the end of the year, and I want those ducks here again. You know, on the northward migration. Yeah. And I hope that we'll pick up some new prospects next fall whenever they come back through. Yeah. Um, because it's it's obvious that these ducks are, are stopping in the same places on the way down and on the way up. And uh, getting it, it, it's getting really interesting, um, you know, some of the information that they have out there mm-hmm. uh, on, on just how predictable the ducks are. Yeah, so that happens. Less and that's predictable than what everybody thinks. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, what happens then is you get little spots that have proven that they're, um, you know, probably no different than spots that you manage that they're proven to get ducks every year. And those little zones become little hot spots. People trying to start picking off land all around there, you know. Uh-huh. It, uh, it becomes interesting when you create little spots like that. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that yet? Like, are people trying to buy land around like these areas that you've created yet? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's duck hunters are passionate. True duck hunters are competitive. <laughs> duck hunters are cynical. Like, like there's nothing about there's nothing about this sport that is competitive. Oh, whether it's with your own buddies or your neighbors, uh, you, you know we like we like that true story. You, you know yeah. that that's what drives us. Yeah, you, you know, it makes you want to be better than your neighbor, or better than the guy across the road. You know, and, and so yeah, uh, it happens. I mean, here it happens a lot. Here it happens a lot, and the people that the people that have been good at identifying those hot spots um, and identifying the lines where the ducks are flying all the time and buying ground underneath them. Uh, those guys, those guys are doing good. They are doing good. Even on tough years, those guys are doing good. They're they're um, doing good both uh, at least here. Both in terms of duck hunting and in terms of like return, like we've seen those areas. You know, there's there's areas here that have over the years proven themselves, and it could be a difference in a hundred percent in price, literally twice as much within three four miles. I mean, if you're in that area, <clears throat> prices are double what they are if you're, you know, three four miles down the river. It's that big of a difference. So if you if you can kind of create those areas, it's financially it's. Uh, it's rewarding as well. Right. But right. Um, I, I get a lot of appraisers that call me about, you know, WRP comps and stuff. Yeah. And like, well, it, you know, on paper, these two look exactly the same. Why is this one worth twice as much as this one? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the location and its proximity to a refuge or high use area, um, that, is, that, that is a huge contributor. Mm-hmm. The other part of that is a kill history. And duck hunters are cynical. If they know they can kill 600 ducks, and they've been killing 600 ducks in that club for the last few years, yep. that that helps them, you know, give them the confidence to go, and people spend more if they know what they get. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of times you got to figure out how to hunt a place before you can have that kind of success. It's easier when somebody else has already figured it out for you. Yep, when the ducks are, are going to be there, at least in the area, that helps. Huh. So, you know what we did this year that was amazing. I think I texted you because um, I had tried it before. We planted sorghum, like you yeah. said, man, and it was unreal. So, I may have just planted the wrong kind before. Because literally, Peter, my partner, um, 
five miles away. I think he planted like um, the red seed sorghum. Didn't touch it. Literally, it's all still there. We planted that like white waterfowl mix. I think it was from Hancock's, and it was the first thing they touched. Literally before the millet, before the buckwheat, um, swimming through corn to get to it. And by week, like, I mean, there was whole cells of it that by week two, it was cleaned out. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, unfortunately, the other cells they they found them, but it'd be after shooting light, but. They wanted that over everything we had. It was unreal. And I planted it too late. Like it was, it wasn't green when we flooded it, but it was not too far from green. You know what I mean? So I, it, it wasn't perfect and they still nailed it. So it was that Hancock's, uh, it was called, they call it bird resistant. Like I don't know how the hell that works, but uh, uh, it did amazing. It was lights out. So I bet next year, um, depending on what we have, because a few of these we've sold, I bet I will double what we planted in that. Yeah. And I don't, not, not many people plant that stuff here, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know yeah. why, but it worked incredibly. Man, the, you know, everybody gets so wound up about corn. Oh, I gotta have corn. I gotta have corn. Mm -hmm. Well, there aren't that many days during the season, especially one like this, where the ducks are after high-energy food. Like, like that's not that's not what they want on a forty degree day and no sun and and you know ten mile an hour wind. Yep. They, they, they're not keying on corn. And we we had a lot of mild days this year, and without a doubt, those ducks were feeding through the moist soil on all of the properties that. That I take care of. Okay, I was going to ask you that. They were smashing the moist soil long before they ever touched the corn. Like there's so much corn left out there on a lot of these properties that they were holding a bunch of honkers because the honkers are you know we've got the weather now. Yep, same same story. High, high yep. energy food source. Yep, and you know there just weren't that many days where corn was king. I mean, yeah, they they would eat it. You know, especially on you know, when it's when, when there's ice on, mm -hmm. when the wind's blowing, it's you know, twenty degrees or below. Those ducks are almost solely working. Yeah, we didn't have that many days this year. We didn't so, have any. So I often challenge people not not only my you know my clients, but um, you know the guys that the guys in Tennessee I'm consulting for, and you know the guys up here that. I try to I try to help them diversify their food sources. If we have moist soil, if we have a high energy food source, whether that's you know acorns or corn, um, if we have all four habitat types that um, the ducks are going to use throughout the year, we we want a little bit of each of them. We want that diversity. Yeah. So that we can we can plan to hold ducks early in the year, middle of the season, late in the season, and in the spring, and and try to provide everything that they need in one spot, so that we can plan to hold more ducks year yeah. round, or you know throughout the whole season. You put all your eggs in one basket, and then we have a, a you know plan everything to corn. 
and we have a mild year like this, that's well, probably not going to use that much because they don't need yeah, it. Either, right? I mean, they're looking for moist soil or something else other than, you know, the high carbohydrate food source. Yep. Yeah, we saw the same thing. The only thing that we, I, that I, I'll probably experiment with this next year is we have all that stuff. We have diversity, but most of them are within the same wetland. Right, so we'll like have corn. We'll have a little of buckwheat or millet on the outside. Um, so we couldn't necessarily like target them based on what we knew they were eating. Like we're hunting the same wetlands, whether it was corn, millet, sorghum. Like they're on the same spot. So I, it might be it might be cool to test. Like, hey, let's have a pure um, millet wetland, and when they're hitting that, like we know where to go. Right. Um, I'm not saying that'll work or not, but. Uh, we haven't done much of that. Like usually, we just we'll literally throw the buffet in the same same wetland, and they're going to be there all year. But it might be worth a shot at some point. So, uh, with your with your different food sources, there, um, I would I would challenge everyone to you know put those put those food sources at the right elevations. Mm-hmm. You know. Put your moist soil on lower elevations where it's going to be harder to plant corn. Um, put buckwheat kind of in the middle where it's got some time to cure out. Um, but you can have short water on it while you're pumping up. And, and I, it gets me back to another point. Staging, staging the flooding of your property in the fall can have a huge advantage. Um, you know, a lot of clubs don't have the opportunity to pump and slowly bring the water level up right. throughout the season. Um, a lot of guys will will pump the you know pump the property full on opening day and that's the water they got for the rest of the year. Um, that really takes your buffet line and puts it out once. Unless you uh, it's a little it's a, little different. it's a little different, though, because a lot of your stuff is river stuff where you're flooding. You know, some of your fields are, what, hundreds of acres that you flood? Oh, yeah. Right? So a big one here, and, and again, not the river stuff, and some actually some of the river clubs are the same way, but these cells are 8, 10 acres. They're not very big. And a lot of them are like you're talking about those man-made areas. Like we've got wetlands that are tabletop, right? So those, we can slowly bring those up a little bit. I'm not sure how much it helps us. But the big ones like you're talking about where we can't plant everything at the same time, those will tend to bring up a little slower, like you're saying. But a lot of these here, it doesn't, doesn't help us that much. Because literally you, literally, you can look across the wetland, every ear of corn is, you know, four foot up across the whole wetland. So it's like, okay, here comes waterfall season. You fill it up. and See what happens. I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, in a lot of those clubs, like you say, it's corn is king. And that's what a lot of people want to see. So that's what they have. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure that's the best, but a lot of clubs here, that's how they operate: corn, tabletop, fill it up, open it there. That's it. Well, I would advise against that. You know, you have the opportunity. Right. <laughs> uh, you can you can manipulate water levels and and, and stage of flooding where you've got lower elevations that have different food sources. 
put that under the water at the beginning of the season with ducks that are more likely to be feeding on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Bring, bring the water level up another six inches. The ducks aren't going to be eating the corn in October. No. I, I, I mean, there's no, there's no reason to give them the corn in October because you put, you put four foot of water in there so you can get, or three foot of water in there so you can get to the ears of corn and they can't feed anything on the bottom. Right. You know, a duck can feed 18 inches, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, below the surface of the water. And that's it. Unless it's, you know, corn height or, or unless they're milo yeah. or sorghum. Yep. Um, unless you flood it right up to the ears of the head. Mm-hmm. And so you're putting all your eggs in one basket and it's corn or nothing. Or you don't have a very good season. Or you don't have a very good season. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Uh, it, it's obvious that, you know, the weather is king. Well, and so. The weather is going to dictate year in, year out. And we don't know that schedule. <laughs> we don't. But we so, get a little crystal ball we could look into. And, I know, but so you like some of the stuff is making more sense. I mean, a lot of these clubs, including most, a lot of our stuff is all corn. And then people are like bitching that the ducks aren't leaving the, the refuges and you know the preserves here. But those are the places that had that moist soil stuff and all that natural vegetation. So maybe that was one of the reasons they didn't leave. You know, maybe they didn't need to. Yeah, um, I I hadn't really thought about that. Um, it does seem like it. It does seem like you know with that early freeze that we had this year that the you know the percentage of, of corn those areas you know the east side of Fountain Grove um, was really good early in the season, mm-hmm. but later on in the season, man, things fell off. Yeah, um, it, you know because it got more mild and. And they just kind of got out of the pattern. Um, and it started using the moist soil. And on the fresh water, uh, I noticed that this year I had a pool that I brought up too quickly. Like, I brought the water level up too quick in this pool. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I brought it up too quick is, one, I, you know, it's a brand new pool. We had never pumped it before. Do we have, you know. Five, six, seven thousand ducks in there every day, and they were just smashing all the food. And so I was trying to stage it up and, and keep them in there using it. Yeah. Well, in the matter of three weeks, I I put you know too much water on it. They yeah. smashed all the food, then they left, <laughs> and then they took off. Whenever they got all the moisture leak, all the corn still on the still on the ear. Right. They didn't touch it. Didn't yeah. touch it. They ate all the moist soil and then went to the next pool that was getting fresh water. Mm-hmm. And rode it, you know, rode the elevation line up and smoked every bit of the moist soil that was in it. Then they moved to another pool and and just kept moving around where there was fresh food yeah. and fresh water. Oh. It was really obvious this year. Um, I watched it happen. Part of it, but uh, I, I think that that might have been happening here too. Well, what I'm going to do next year on those series of pools that are right there, I'm gonna I'm gonna bait up. Uh, that's a that's a terrible. I did not say that. Yeah, that came um, out. 
I'm going to bait them into coming <laughs> to these pools by when I put water on it. Right. So I'm, I'm going to pulse or, or put, you know, six or seven inches of water on a pool. And once the birds start using it, I'm going to stop pumping. And I'm going to switch it to another pool. And I'm going to hunt them in that pool all week yeah. long. Okay. And as that water level is coming up over there, hopefully they'll start using it. And hop over and, there. And once they start using it, we'll start hunting it. And then I'll start pumping over here again. Yeah, kind of, and kind of hop them around a little bit. And try to minimize the pressure on that one pool. You, you know, you after you know you go in and bang at them six or seven times, um, you know, over even three or four weeks. Yeah. They still get, they still get banged at enough that they don't want to come back. Nope. And yeah. so if you spread that out, and you, you know we're we're encouraging them to move, and we're trying to make them more predictable, and put water in this one this week, put water in that one next week, yeah, and we'll follow them. We'll just keep following them back and forth, and try to reduce the pressure on the pool, and, and that all gets back to that. You know, there's a lot of contributors to it, but we got to hunt. And this is more important today, I think, than it was 20 years ago. We have to hunt today for tomorrow. And we have to be thinking about how to minimize pressure and, and take the, you know, take the, the strains off of our ducks because we're training them to fly after dark. Yep. We're training them not to come back to properties until after dark because if you do you're going to get shot and they they catch on in some mm -hmm. years they catch on quicker than others um this year they caught on pretty quick very quick too quick and and very similar to what you said you know it's like the bottom fell out of it, it was just you know what's really good to nothing we we heard a lot of that around here too huh. um you know, a lot of the, a lot of the clubs just didn't have much luck in the first couple of weeks because their properties couldn't handle the pressure. Right. Well, I'm going to blame it mostly on weather, mainly because I'm hoping it's better next year. Yeah. I'm hoping they don't come back and like just fly again at five o'clock at night. <laughs> right. So, so let's land on the weather. Yeah. A month, a month, or a month and a half before they get into that pattern. Right. Yeah. yeah. Have a chance of yep and get some new birds every, every once in a while yeah we're not asking for much you wouldn't uh, think so a third push or a fourth push <laughs> i mean not asking for much uh, i'm asking for a later season every year a duck show up right after it's over and but that's probably also because they're smart as well right like here all the hunters and big pushes yeah. for like you know we need to get DNR to push the season back or a split season, wherever they're, they're fighting for. But it's like, yeah, you're probably right. It would make more sense here, but then they'll probably show up two weeks later, you know? Um, yeah. Well, the ducks are pushing back north right now. Right. Um, last week, I saw a pretty good influx of, of mallards and pintails. Um, I was in southeast Missouri Friday and, and hunted there, and, you know, a lot of the mallards were already gone. Oh. Um, I got to West Tennessee. Um, I hunted over near the Big Sandy, and um, it was it was pretty tough over there. There just weren't wasn't a whole lot of birds oh. flying, um, much like much like up here. Yep. Um, 
but a lot of their ducks had left. I got to West Tennessee, and those guys had ducks, but they had a refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a lot of folks in that bottom that hadn't been killing very many birds because, it, you know, they just weren't there. Right. And so I think that, you know, once our seasons close, those birds know that they can retreat. And we're training them to move further north earlier every year, you know, in their in their return flight um, to escape the pressure. And uh, I don't know that it's going to get any better. Don't say, don't say that. The season later. I think you're right. I, I just, you know, these birds are getting banged out from mm-hmm. September to end of January. Yep. Canada and, to Arkansas, the whole way down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, that I think that makes all the stuff that we do even more, right? Yeah. And those those guys that are doing all this stuff, um, even if they're not banner years where they're record harvest, at least they're still shooting ducks. At least they're still getting ducks and holding ducks for a while. Um, so in one sense, it's sort of depressing to see this happen. But in the other sense, it's like, hey, if you don't do this, you know, you might not be duck hunting at all, right? Right. Or it might, not, might not be worth it. Um, yeah. It was like quail hunting got in the late 90s or, you know, mid-90s over here. Yeah. Um, and couldn't get into enough quail to make a duck dog or make a quail dog. Uh, you know, you just couldn't go walk around for two days and kick up two cubbies mm-hmm. and make a dog. I mean, it's just really, it, it got so hard that a lot of guys quit. I was one up. You yeah. know, me and my dad, we quit quail hunting and started duck hunting. Yeah. And it's, if we don't, I, I'm afraid if we don't change some, don't of, the, it. some of what we're doing, it, it's going to, it's going to get even tougher. Yeah. Tougher and tougher, you know, over the next 20, 25 years. And you think it's, um, I mean, you think it's pressure where you're at or do you think you're already uh, on the wrong foot because they've been pressured north of you? Right? Um, do you think you get new birds at your place that are already flying after dark? Uh, Not dark, after, after shooting late. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think a lot of our problem is the amount of pressure they see once they get to our area. Okay. Because from Fountain Grove to Grand Pass, they're getting Mm-hmm. And granted, there's a lot of waterfowl uh, developments, and you know the National Wildlife Refuge and two conservation areas. I mean, there's a ton of habitat there, and that's why they're there. Mm-hmm. But they're getting banged out a lot. So I, I do think that it is the pressure that we're seeing here. Um, not necessarily they got banged out so hard in South Dakota that the gun shy wants to show up, right? Um, if, and that's what I said earlier, too. We might have, there were a couple of times when I thought I saw some new ducks, um, you, you know, hunting in December, but, man, it wasn't very many. It wasn't ever a significant, like, oh, man, we had a really good day, and they all acted like ducks. Right. Or saw a bunch of flight birds. It, it wasn't ever that. Um, well, that's why I asked, because it's the same I, thing. I wonder, yeah. I, I wonder if, if we did pick up birds and they didn't fall right in line with the pressure birds and never really give us a shot at. So that's why I asked because we, I, you know, I think they fly here every two weeks and give us numbers and like, Oh, we got a great new push of whatever, you know, mallards. It's like, 
No, we didn't. It's like, I haven't seen that bird, you know, an extra bird in two weeks. So we're curious. I'm like, man, maybe they're just all banged up. And like you said, they're falling in line with those ducks that are already flying. It's, at some point, it's literally a minute that shoot. Like, a minute. I mean, it gets frustrating. And we have wetlands that are pile up. 5,000 ducks. Not a single one before shooting like Not a one. <laughs> but whatever. You hope you get a bad weather day, and this year we didn't get it, you know? So so you said something earlier, and I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Is it about my hair? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, this will be the last podcast with hockey hair. I promise. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. You said something about you try not to hunt mornings. Is that is that to reduce pressure? Um, so they weren't not hunting mornings. They were not going to the wetlands before sunup. Oh, so um, and we would we would rest the wetlands. You know what? I take that back. We would we didn't close our wetlands in the morning at all. Um, you can always go there. And this was our farm manager's kind of his research uh, from what he was told. And, um, and I think it has worked a little bit. That once you kick them out in the dark, they're more likely to either not come back or to come back after shooting light. Uh, and last year it worked really, or maybe a couple of years ago. The last few years it worked really, really well. This year was a weird year and it just sucked in general. So I don't know how much we learned from that. But the past two years, I feel like it helped. So we would not let people go to food source before sunup. Mm-hmm. You hear anyone else doing that? No. Uh, it's caught on over here. I mean, we're not the only people doing it here. It's, uh, yeah. A lot of the clubs along the Illinois River, same thing. They won't let their guys go out till sunup. Really? Yep. Say they come back. They say they come back earlier when you don't spook them up at dark. Uh, you guys hunting until. Sundown yeah. in the afternoons. Um, Monday, Wednesday. I think we have two or three rest days. So Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We do not hunt food, um, flooded food in the afternoon. Yep. And this year that was in years past that was fine. The three rest days. This year could use more. But what do you do for us? It's a club, and once you kind of set those, that's the that's the rules for the year. But um, yeah, we were given three rest days. And, you know, so a guy literally a mile down the road has a private farm that's much smaller. And for as long as I've known him, he hunts Saturdays. That's it. And he was pounding them, man. Yeah. He was pounding them. <laughs> yeah. So. So, so it's a pressure manager. Yeah. He's, it, he knows he's got a one-day-a-week spot. Mm-hmm. If he could have that good of hunts every day of the week, he'd probably be doing it. But he can't have that good of hunts unless he only does it one, one day, day a week. week. Yep. And so yeah. we'll, we'll kill more ducks than him because we're hunting more. But man, his hunt, his hunts on Saturdays are lights out better than any hunt that we have had that week or whatever. So yeah. it's, you're right. It's pressure. But so, so depending on how often you want to hunt, you, know, you just need seven properties. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. We've had the discussions like, hey, instead of buying four or five hundred acres, let's buy like Five one hundred acre properties. <laughs> Each one day a week. One day a week, right? We even talked about getting because all those new the cell 
the cell cams, like the trail cams, get uh-huh. sending right to your pictures. Like, you know what? Let's get four or five wetlands in the area and just stick a, a cam right on our shooting hole. And let's just not even go until they're, they're there, right? Until they're showing up consistently during shooting light. Let's just leave it. That would be kind of awesome. So, but again, that's private stuff. Instead of doing a club, club, you kind of have to. Yeah. Here's the rules. Go do it. Right. Um, I refuged some areas this year that we hadn't before, mm-hmm. and um, it was really interesting seeing how those ducks worked, um, how they moved. Um, it was always really hard to see how many ducks were in there because they never left. Right. <laughs> they were always in there. And every now and then the eagle would swoop down in there and, and you'd see five or six thousand get up and go right back down. But it's the birds that aren't pressured, if they have a safe place to go, they just act different. 100%. They, um, I, we also had some properties that we did a one o'clock closure on. So at one o'clock you quit you quit hunting yeah and get out of the pool mm-hmm. um, and we don't go back into those areas after one o'clock and try to give them refuge um, it, you know a temporal refuge and instead of spatial give them a temporal refuge yeah. and try, the ducks were in the uh, you know in those wetlands or that. in those units in the afternoons. <laughs> Because they didn't get shot at in the afternoons. Right. And instead of flying up five after five, they were flying up five after one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Missouri Department of Conservation has, you know, several uh, managed areas that fly on those same rules. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Grand Pass is one o'clock close. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the best hunting you see at Grand Pass is the last hour of the day. Yep. Noon to one. Because those birds are, we trained them. Yeah. Fly at one. Yeah. But some of them, you know, aren't that smart. <laughs> have their clocks turned back. And, you know, they get shot at noon because, and, and a lot of days it's the weather that will get those birds up early. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it's cloudy and the wind's blowing, they'll, be there, they'll be there an hour early. They'll fly early. Yeah. You know what you should do? So we have a club that, like, you just push it back 10 minutes every day. And hopefully they never catch on, right? <laughs> so, like, you know what? Opening day, we're up until 10. That's it. And then it's 1015, 1030. Maybe you'll just, like, but maybe you'll just, like, stay ahead of them, right? So the last 15 minutes is always incredible. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I don't think it works. I don't think it gets all the way there. You'd have to do, like... <laughs> Two or three minutes a day. I I like it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I like it. All right, dude, we're going an hour. Try not to go this far. Series is over. What did we miss? Anything? I don't think so. We we talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's just, it's crazy to kind of think that it's already over and we're starting again. Starting again. That's the deal. We started last, well, January, so literally a month ago, a, a year ago, we started. We were already doing stuff for the next year. So, right. 
We're doing stuff for next year, right now. It's part of it. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, man, I'm still killing, I still want to kill some stuff. So, <laughs> like, you guys are still in the uh, Canadian season. See, we're out. We're done. Yeah. 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 And for whatever reason, man, we've had a lot of candidates this year. Uh, it has hunts like spectacular hunts. Yeah. Um, some of the best use hunting that I've, I've seen. Nice. In the last five, six years. Nice. Uh, um, but it seems like it seems like that happens, you know. Uh, you know, tough duck season, and they reward you with some good use of a little bit with yeah. the honkers. It seems like, like get, yeah, uh, maybe one of the two, and, and it'll help make yeah. it easier to swallow. You know what? I just I gave I gave up this year. Like people have been shooting up until uh, I closed the club. Like people were having good luck. And I was just like. I was burnt, man. I went too many days that it was awful. <laughs> I was just like, screw it, man. I, I'm, I'm done. I'll go next year. <laughs> Which turned out to burn me, but uh, whatever. That was my attitude this year. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, man. It was awesome. Um, I don't know what we'll do next year, um, but we'll certainly have to catch up a few times on you know, individual topics or whatever we decide to, whatever we land yeah. on. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. Um, Come over and see me this spring. Deal. Deal. When you're doing a couple projects. Yeah. Well, I think we'll start in a couple weeks. So. Thanks, so. I'll be good anytime after that. (laughs) Deal. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, you guys who listen, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back at you next year with a different series, different topics.